0: When I was at university, a friend that I was studying with, well he was studying, but a friend I was with at university, uh, got rich quick. He was the sort of bloke who was always going to do very, very well. Even at university, he implemented a few little schemes, business schemes, that helped him through financially. Then he became quite rich. Usually when someone gets rich quick, their friends have at least a twinge of envy. But we didn't feel envious of him at all. And why was that? Simply because the price he had to pay to get rich quick was far too high. In no time it seemed that he owned his own house, had two rental properties, a reasonable portfolio of shares, would never have to work again, well, hadn't worked in the first place, if he chose not to. But no one was envious of his situation because he got rich quick when he received his inheritance from his parents when they suddenly died in a car accident. It was a dreadful price to be forced to pay to get rich quick and he still doesn't even feel rich. Now why do I start by telling you that, that sad story? I want to simply warn you today against paying too high a price to get rich. Nearly everyone I know would like to improve their economic position, would like to get rich, And if they could get rich quick rather than slowly, that would be even better. And the fact that you've come to university and are willing to uh, study suggests to me that you're committed to improving your financial status, you're committed to uh, increasing the opportunities that might be out there to become rich. Now I'm not here today to talk you out of creating wealth and improving your economic position, if that were in fact possible but I am here today to talk you out of paying too high a price to get rich. I'm not here attempting to get, uh, talk you out of getting rich, partly because the Bible itself encourages hard work and says riches can be a great blessing from God. But we must remember that the Bible also has severe warnings, very harsh warnings against paying too high a price for riches. Now, the Bible is a very ancient book, full of wisdom about the world we live in, about the people we live among, and about the God we belong to. And you'd be wise to heed its words, especially at this early stage before you engage in your careers. What does it say that guides and encourages us as we seek to build wealth? Well, the Bible says... Now, follow this verse. Prepare your outside work, get everything ready for you in the field, and after that, build your house. Now, it sounds a little bit cryptic. It was written a long time ago. That means you should attend to your business. In this case, plant your fields before you start building your house. Now, that's wise advice, isn't it? Pay attention to your business matters first, then worry about buying a house. it's advice that most Australians ignore. We tend to buy our houses first and then worry about how we're going to pay them off. It's actually been advice I've taken. I'm much happier to rent a house and put my assets into a business so that they can earn. Another bit of wisdom that comes from the Bible is quite positive about uh, work and wealth. Send out your grain upon the seas and after many days you'll get a return. That means you should consider exporting your products in order to get a better price for them. Now that po- advice seems just a little obvious in this day and age, but I reckon 3,000 years ago in Israel, it was probably quite an exciting insight. And this is again is advice that I've cho- chosen to take on board. For the last three weeks I've been in Europe on business, well some of it was business, trying to export our technology and expertise. So on one hand the Bible is full of great advice about life and business but it also warns the reader against the traps that can ensnare you as you struggle to get rich. I noticed this particularly when I read this story about the rich farmer to my children. See, a little storybook here. Your parents may have read it to you. I don't know. The ending of the story comes as quite as a surprise uh, because the Bible is so positive about people who work hard and diligently, like farmers do. It's full of verses like these. Um, these are ones that I'm trying to impress upon my children as they study. A slack, or as they don't study, a slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. The hand of the diligent will rule, while the lazy will be forced into labour. The lazy do not roast their game. I think that means small animals. But the diligent obtain precious wealth. The appetite of the lazy craves and gets nothing, but the appetite of the diligent is richly supplied. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to want. So here I've got this backdrop of uh, verses in the Bible that are pretty positive about how we should be diligent and hard-working and they'll become great blessing. (coughs) And then I read this little story to my children, where it's a story... You'll notice when you read kids' books from the Bible that the stories in the kids' books are about 15 times longer than the, the passage that turns up in Scripture. But it's a passage that, where Jesus tells a parable. And he says, here is a farmer who is very rich. The farmer is rich because his soil is rich. And his corn grows faster than anybody else. Very exciting story. <coughs> <And> it, <coughs> the kids loved it. Anyway, as you move through... This year he has so much corn that his old barn can't seem to hold it all. It's bursting at the seams. No problem, says the farmer, I'll I'll pull it down and build a bigger one. The next year I'll be rich enough to take it easy. So he builds a bigger barn. And the story goes on, year after year, he's just pulling down barns and building bigger ones. No problem, says the farmer, I'll build an even bigger one. The farmer keeps on building bigger and bigger barns. This time the farmer says to himself, I will build the biggest, grandest barn the world has ever seen. I shall be so rich I'll never need to work again. And he's got this beautiful barn in classic Gothic style, which was very common in the ancient Near East apparently. (laughs) Now this is a bit that caught me off guard, Right? Tomorrow I'll gather in the harvest and then at last I shall begin to enjoy myself. I know, I'll have a party. But that very night he dies in his sleep, just like that. Now that's the bit that caught me off guard. You see, it's, I didn't expect the good guy to actually die in a, in a kid's story. The bird eats his corn, the rabbit digs up his carrots and the cabbage goes to seed. The big barn stands empty and the rich farmer never does get to enjoy his money. Poor man. Yeah, poor man. Jesus says how silly it is for a man to spend his whole life storing up riches for himself and to be poor towards God. And that's the line that I want us to go back to uh, in the passage that uh, Jesus told to his disciples. It caught me by surprise... Um, partly because, well, I, I was in Germany last week and we were in that, um, that western side of Germany where the writers, well, the brothers, Grimm, who wrote all those fairy tales, wrote their stories. And you can go tripping from the, the various palaces and castles and see where they wrote their stories. In their stories, because they're German, usually the villain dies, not the diligent, hard-working ones. You know, if we're in France, we expect the diligent, hard-working to die. But when you're in Germany... <laughs> seen French movies. The good guys always die. It explains a lot about the French. Too, doesn't it? But here we are in Germany where in their stories the villain dies. The witch gets thrown into the oven. <coughs> the, uh, the wolf gets its head cut off. But here we have the hard working farmer dies. Now what was the point Jesus was making? Let me, let me read it from not the children's version but the, uh, the grown ups version. Jesus said to them, "'Take care, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. "'For one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions.' Then he told them a parable. "'The land of a rich man produced abundantly.' He thought to himself, "'What should I do, for I have no place to store my crops?' Then he said, "'I will do this. "'I'll pull down my barns, build larger ones, "'and there I will store all my grain and my goods. "'And I will say to my soul, "'Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. "'Relax, eat, drink, be merry.' But God said to him, You foolish man, this very night your life is being demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasure for themselves, but are not rich towards God. Jesus' point is that riches that you accumulate don't really matter once you're dead. But being rich towards God does matter. Now, what does that mean, being rich? Towards God. So it is for those who store up treasure for themselves and are not rich towards God. Well, you'll be surprised to hear this, but I think the uh, the answer is all about exchange rates. You can tell I've been travelling overseas. The answer is all about exchange rates. The answer is about paying far too much, as I said before, to get rich quick because you're confused about what's being exchanged. Let me explain. As I mentioned, I've been working and doing a fair bit of holiday in Europe for the last few weeks. I spent time in Germany and France where the currency is Euro and then in England where they use the pound. And uh, about $1.80 Australian buys a Euro and about $2.50 buys a pound at the moment. And it's easy to get confused over the value of things you're buying (coughs) because of that exchange rate. For instance, uh, in Germany, I just bought a little hot dog. No, I didn't just buy a lot, of, I bought a lot of things, but I was buying a hot dog. <coughs> I wish I'd only bought a hot dog in Germany. Um, a bratwurst sausage on a roll with mustard for two euro. And I thought, well, that's, that's cheap. I'd probably pay about three bucks for that if I was in, in Sydney. And as I bit in, I did the calculation in the head and thought, Dump! I just paid $3.60. <coughs> I bought a double espresso in London, as you do in London. For two pound, thinking what a bargain because in Sydney I pay about three or four bucks for that. And tick, 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 tick. tick, I'm I'm very competent to run a business. Uh, About two pound is worth five dollars twenty, and I felt I had felt like I had a bargain when it was just two units of currency. But when I realised it was five units of currency, I thought mate, I've paid too much. And when my credit card statements arrived, I'm starting to shake now. Don't assume a defensive posture. I'll see what other mistakes I've made calculating hotel rooms and meals and plane flights and that stupid trip on the Eurostar which costs a fortune. It's cheaper to fly, so bear that in mind if you're in the area. So so it is with those who store up uh, treasure for themselves and are not rich towards God. They're confused about the exchange rate. If If you're confused about exchange rates, you'll end up paying too much to get rich. And what Jesus is saying is you might not actually be rich towards God. Now let's explore just what that phrase, rich towards God, might mean. Uh, When I began with the example of my friend at university who lost his parents but became rich, I'm sure we all felt a degree of sympathy toward him. Good relationships and friendships create a richness that is different from material riches are usually more precious to us. My grandparents uh, died over the last uh, 12 or 15 months, aged 93 and 94. They had no money, but everyone said they had a rich life, a family that loved them, lots of great-grandchildren, great-great-grandchildren, and uh, great memories. A rich and full life, although they had no assets and had worked quite hard their whole life. There are other forms of richness. We, we're rich in the way that we can um, live in a country free from war and strife, where we can raise children knowing that they'll get clean water, education, health care and good food. There's a richness in being able to choose to act with integrity, honesty and justice, knowing what sort of person you want to be, holding principles and acting upon them. There's a richness in being able to sleep at night because you're a good conscience and you've not been hardened by the world. And despite that, we, we know all sorts of people who have uh, sacrificed friendship, relationships with wives and husbands, with children and family, in order to get rich sometimes quickly. We all know people who've exchanged their integrity and their principles to pursue the best wealth. And the Bible tells us over and over that such people have paid far too high a price for such riches. They have been confused about the exchange rate, giving away things that are precious and receiving something superficial in return. Foolishly, they've paid too much to become rich. (coughs) Unfortunately, I don't think that's what Jesus means when he uses the expression rich towards God. I'm sure God cares about our relationships and how we behave towards each other, how we are grateful for the world, and how we live lives of integrity. I'm sure God cares about all these things. I'm just not sure that that's what He meant here. I reckon being rich towards God means that we are wedded to the same purpose that He has. Committing your life to the same objective as God has for the universe is what it means to be rich towards God. And I reckon God wants us to exchange our life for the things that he values. (coughs) So what is the currency of the universe? What, What currency does God trade in? What currency does God use to measure rich? When when we talk about rich, we can use a range of different currencies, sometimes euros, dollars and pounds. That's confusing enough as it is. Sometimes we mean rich in terms of friendship, fellowship, love, life, really. And sometimes we mean integrity, purpose and destiny. Rich because they're fulfilling their destiny. But what does God value? What does God talk about? What's most important to God that he would call it rich? Well, in the Bible, God talks a lot about Jesus. Everything seems to come back to Jesus. The Bible tells us that Jesus is the Son of God and God loves Jesus. Proud fathers often talk about their sons <coughs> and in his Bible that's what God talks about, Jesus. God loves Jesus so much that he created the whole world for him and all its people as a gift for Jesus. Jesus. Did you realise that? It's a very different perspective about God, isn't it? When you realise he created everything for Jesus, including us. We're supposed to be a gift, a present, that he hands over to his son. So if you ask God, what is the currency of the universe, he would say the whole universe is for and about Jesus. Let me just uh, read a few verses here from Colossians. (coughs) For in Jesus... All things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things and in him all things hold together so that he might come to have the first place in everything. God's purpose is to hand over the universe and everyone in it to Jesus as a gift. Now you might have noticed that the world is in a bit of a mess and you're right and God says he's going to clean up the world before he hands it over to his son. Now, You might have noticed that most people really don't want to be a gift for Jesus and again you have observed rightly and God says that he'll sort out humanity before it's finally presented to Jesus. Now Not only is God annoyed, actually he's angry that the world doesn't love his son as much as he loves Jesus. God is angry that we're not even grateful for being allowed to live in his world. We are his creatures and we ignore him. Now if we were just creatures like the animals, this probably wouldn't bother God as much as it does. But people are not animals. God says he created us in his image to be the perfect gift for His Son, who is His image. We were made, as humans, to be loved by Him, to love Him and to love each other. And God is offended by our rejection of His love and we were, at one stage, all going to be punished for the way we behaved towards each other. Humanity was in deep, deep trouble because the punishment we deserved was called eternal death eternal death instead of the internal life we were created for. Now I don't know about you, but if I was God and I'd created this world and it wasn't working out the way I wanted, I would have trashed it. You know God could have just trashed the whole universe, maybe had a screen like this and just dragged it across to the bin and start all over again. But from the beginning God said humanity is going to be my gift to Jesus. And God takes his promise very seriously. Rather than going back on his word, he set about on a very elaborate plan to restore the world as a suitable gift for Jesus and to re-establish his authority over the world. And the way he did that was he sent his son Jesus into the world as a human being and as king over the world. And the throne upon which Jesus took his authority was his cross. Understanding how that works Is very difficult, and we will go through that. This is one point that I would encourage you to uh, grasp hold of. After this week, if you've been to various talks and you haven't quite understood the exchange that's taking place on the cross, if somebody asks you the question and you can't understand why the cross is Jesus' throne where God re-established his rule over the world... That is a good indicator, it's a good diagnostic test to you that you haven't quite understood all that you need to about the Bible and I'd encourage you to catch up with Andrew or Michael or anyone that brought you along today And, and make sure you start to understand what actually happened on the cross. How can a cross be a throne? Well, a bit more on exchange rates from me. This is where it's important that we understand exchange rates. Let me just summarise where we're up to so far. First, God loves Jesus and everything is for him, including us. Second, God takes his promise very seriously and he promised to give Jesus the world. But people opposed his promise. We rejected God and are not suitable to be presented to Jesus. Third, rather than destroy the world and humanity with it, God so loved the world and the people he created in his own image that he sent his one and only son to save them. And this is where the exchange rate comes in. Jesus exchanged himself for all of humanity, the whole world, when he died in our place on the cross. The reason one man, Jesus Christ, could die and pay the penalty deserved by billions and billions of humans who have lived over the centuries is this. God's son is infinitely valuable. You cannot measure the value of Jesus' life in terms of human lives because he is worth an infinite number of human lives. That's a great exchange rate. Because of his great love for us, he did make that exchange on the cross. Jesus did exchange his life for ours. God kept his promise through Jesus and humanity became more valuable. By becoming human and dying for humanity, Jesus has raised the dignity and value of humanity. I mean, that's normal, isn't it? Why do currencies fluctuate at all? Currencies change because of a change in demand. The currency of humanity was raised because God's Son was exchanged for us. Now notice this. Jesus didn't exchange himself, his life, for material riches. He gave his life up for people. For people. In Jesus humanity has been exalted and raised up. Let me read to you from Hebrews where it says, it was fitting that God for whom and through whom all things exist, in bringing many children to glory should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through suffering. That's a little story about Jesus. For this reason Jesus is not ashamed to call them, that's us, brothers and sisters saying, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters I will praise you. And again, here am I and the children of God he has given me. Therefore, the the children, that's us, share the same flesh and blood. He himself likewise shared the same things so that through death he might destroy the one who has power over death and free those who all their lives were held slavery by the fear of death. It's a great passage saying that Jesus is actually increasing the value of humanity. He took on human flesh and died in our place. Now, that means there are two sorts of people in the world. On one hand, there are those sorts of people who like dividing the world into two sorts of people, and there are those people who don't like dividing the world into two sorts of people. Actually, someone I know said there's actually three sorts of people in the world, those who are good at arithmetic and those who are not. Come on, think about it. (laughs) Now the Bible says there are are in fact two sorts of people in the world. Those who are going to benefit from Jesus' death, his exchange on our behalf, and those don't. Those who are rich towards God are the ones who allow God to be rich towards them. The ones who love Jesus and want to be part of his kingdom. The ones who can see where God is driving history to glorify Jesus and want to be part of it. And those who don't want to be part of that aren't rich towards God and uh, uh, they're trading in a currency that God doesn't appreciate. It's an interesting one. I, I was driving my daughter to a, um, a party once, a birthday party, and she was probably at seven at the time. And She said, you know, Dad, a party is just like heaven. And I thought... I can see that. So I started to... Uh, well, I started to prattle on. I'm good at that. And I said, yeah, that's right. In, in the Bible, heaven is described as a great banquet where we party with God. I could see why you would think a party is like heaven. And she says, no, 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 no. Why do you get invited to a party? The smart kids don't get invited, necessarily. The sporty kids don't get invited. The pretty people don't get invited. You get invited because you want to be friends with the person whose party is. And I thought, I will use that one day. That's very clever. LAUGHTER and I've just done it. (laughs) If you want to be part of God's plan for Jesus, you don't have to do a great deal. All you have to do is say to Jesus, I want to be part of that plan. I want to be part of the plan. What we commonly do when we have a group of people like this is we we make sure you know how you can be part of God's plan. Now, I, I don't know you people very well at all. Um, I don't know how much time you've spent thinking about Jesus in the Bible. If this week is the first week you've really thought about it, you're probably um, not really convinced, or not as convinced as I am, about who Jesus is. And it's probably a bit soon for you to be uh, thinking about making a decision. You probably have lots of questions about how reliable is the Bible and how did it get handed to us and do these claims of Jesus really hang together and does the Bible really say what that bloke is saying? So some of you are encouraged to go out and keep on pushing this issue and explore the Bible further, find out where it's come from and how it was put together. Others of you have been thinking about this Jesus and the Bible thing for, for months, maybe years, and have had lots of people talk to you. And what we encourage you to do is, is pray a simple prayer like this. Um, it's quite easy to pray, and just talk to God. You say, Father, I'm so sorry that I've ignored you. Uh, I've not thanked you for my life or the world you've created for. Me. I've made a big mistake. I would like to put things right with you. I understand that Jesus has done everything necessary for me to have a fresh start with you. Please forgive me for the past and help me to live a life worthy of Jesus, your Son and my Lord. It's a very, very easy prayer. I mean, you don't have to use those words. You can use anything you like, really, that convey those ideas that uh, you're sorry for the way you've uh, lived and you want to be put right with God, and you know that that's done through Jesus. When you're able to pray a prayer like that you will experience God's forgiveness for the past. When you are able to ask God that you want to belong to Jesus and serve him, God adopts you as his own son. And this is God's way of getting rich quick and getting rich towards God. This is the way, the currency that God measures rich. When you belong to Jesus, God will come and live in your heart, he says, And not only will you be convinced that you're forgiven by God, but you'll be compelled by God to forgive other people who have wronged you. You'll forgive them for the wrongs they've done against you, and you will desire the forgiveness of those whom you have wronged. Forgiveness is the miracle. One evening I went in to say goodnight to my son, He was lying in his bed just thinking, and and he said to me, you know, Dad, forgiveness is a miracle. And so I launched into another one of my little speeches about how it is a miracle that God would send Jesus so that we could be forgiven and put right. And he goes, no, 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 no. (laughs) It's a miracle if I can get the words forgiveness out of my mouth. And he's right. Have you ever tried to ask somebody to forgive you? If somebody's asked for forgiveness, how hard is it to actually forgive them and, put things and have things set right. To really forgive one another and to freely offer forgiveness, we need God to adopt us and to live in our hearts and give us the power to do it. Forgiveness is a miracle. Another thing that happens to us when God dwells in us is that we'll start to value other people more. It follows that if God has a purpose for people and if Jesus died for people, then we should place a higher value on other people. We should treat them as precious. No longer will we value people according to their riches. When we are rich towards God, we will value people according to the blood shed for them by Jesus. Now, here's a sad little story, uh, defensive posture. Twenty years ago, I was working as an accountant. That's not the sad bit, okay? <laughs> That's not the sad bit. I was working as an accountant on a client's... Um, accounts, books. The client had a, an employee, a young man... Oh, he's young now. He seemed like an old man then, but he was a young man who drove a Porsche. I was very impressed with anybody who drove a Porsche. I was impressed with anyone who had a car that drove a Porsche. And so was everybody else. We used to treat this guy differently because we figured, probably subconsciously, that if the client thought he was so valuable in his job, that they would pay him enough to be able to afford a Porsche, mate, he must be valuable indeed. As I worked on the clients' accounts, um, I you know, accidentally had to look at the payroll and how that all worked. Highly illegal. Uh, and I realised that the young man really didn't get paid enough to afford a Porsche, and, and that started, started to uh, explain a lot to me. It started to explain why sometimes he caught the bus and couldn't afford to drive his Porsche, and sometimes he couldn't afford to insure it, let alone drive it. the time I thought he was very very foolish to spend all that money on a car. In fact I thought he was quite materialistic. Here he is owning this fabulous car. What a materialist he must be because he can't afford it. Then as I was watching the people in the office and how they, they treated him because he owned that car I was horrified, absolutely horrified because I realised that he wasn't the materialist. I was. I was the materialist. He didn't love the Porsche. He loved the way people loved him because he owned it. He wasn't into material things. He just wanted people to treat him properly and treat him better. People treated him, and I include myself, treated him as valuable because he drove an expensive car. He wasn't the materialist. We were the materialists. Now... When we are rich towards God, no longer will we value people according to their material riches. We will value people according to the blood Jesus shed for them. We will treat all people as valuable because of what Christ has done. I have a final warning for you, particularly if you're in this process of trying to work out who Jesus is. When I was about 10 years old, my best friend died. I don't know if you've ever had your best friend die. Nothing seems to hurt you as much as that, from my experience. Now, the worst thing about having your best friend die when you're about 10 years old is this. When you're a 10-year-old boy, your best friend is your dad. It's your father. I have never experienced a pain as great as that in my whole life. It was a cruel experience. It, It made... Yeah, it made things unbearable for the weeks after. In fact, when uh, when Sam... My, my father died four days before my 11th birthday. And uh, Sam's my son, who's now 14 and a half. Four days before his 11th birthday, um, we were talking about parenting, and he was giving me some tips on how I was going. And I realised... He's <laughs> good like that, very useful. And I, I realised, oh, it's four days before my 11th birth- birthday. And I, I said to him well, we're going to have to work really hard on this father and son thing from here on. He said, why is that? And I said, well, my dad actually died four days before my 11th birthday, so I've just been following the pattern that I learned, but I don't know what to do there. And uh, he burst into tears. He thought that was one of the saddest things he'd ever heard, and I hadn't realised how sad it was until I said it myself. We were both there sort of sobbing away. It was a cruel experience. But to make things worse, in the weeks after Dad's death, some older boys were taunting me about his death. They made fun of me and fun of my grief. I was outraged. I wanted to introduce pain into their life. <laughs> a nice way of saying it, isn't it? <laughs> immense. Immense pain. Riches of pain. But I was smaller than they and I couldn't do anything about it. If I was larger, I would have introduced pain into their lives, as much as I could have managed, it um, hurt to have that father-son relationship torn apart by death. I wanted revenge when my, um, when my suffering was being mocked. Now here's my final warning to you. It's a big mistake to mock or belittle the pain that is caused when a father-son relationship is torn apart, particularly when they're bigger than you are. And God is big, very big. God has experienced his relationship with his son being torn apart by death. This is no small matter that we're talking about. It may be unbelievable that God would do that. It may be a miracle that God would do that for us. But the fact of the matter, if that indeed has happened, do not take it lightly. Because God will introduce pain into your life if you ignore the high price he paid so that you could indeed get rich quick and enjoy the things he has provided for us. Thank you very much. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.